Welcome to the Innocence, where police cars have surrounded the building. There's a long list of suspects. Police officers have stood in front of their doors and they've yelled, This is the police! And they were told to come out with their hands up. And they did. Oh, yes, they did. Because the rich folk who loved living luxuriously, even if they were livid for learning that they were about to be litigated for some lopsided investigation, I mean, investigation. They understand that they need to play nice, especially if they're innocent and want to walk free. But Mr. McClucal and Vivica Monsieur will never walk free again, will they? Two deaths, too many earrings, a lot of suspects. Where should Nards and Wiener even begin? This is Blinding Innocence. You know as well as I do how terrible the crime scene investigation parts are in soap operas. They talk about fingerprints and DNA and blood spatter, and the actors are all furrowed brows and suit jackets, bloodshot eyes and faded lipstick. They discuss alibis and evidence. Lawyers are all jerks and police officers are jerks, and the old lady down the hall, well, she's also a jerk. She kicks puppies. Will Nards and Wiener ever figure out who the killer is before there's another murder? We're going to have to wait to find out. You're not going to believe it, but Betty Lou was kidnapped again. Oh, you believe it? Well, you should. We all knew it was coming. Betty Lou gets kidnapped more than some horrible person in a long-running show that gets kidnapped all the time. And here she is again, in that small bathroom, the light masked with the brown grocery bag over the window, and she's been chained to a chair this time. <gasps> the kidnapper learned from the last time that Rope and Betty Lou do not mix. Betty Lou woke up once more annoyed at the cramped space of the bathroom, and really, was she even at the innocence? What sad human would ever want to get ready in a bathroom that was just so small? Her eyes adjusted to the dim light, and she was parched. Her tongue felt like a piece of old felt in her mouth. She exhaled and sniffed. Ooh, her breath was musty. She wasn't gagged this time, but she wished she was. What would the kidnapper think of her if they got a whiff of her breath? She exhaled heavy once more and sniffed. Fish? No. Roadkill? No. Old tacos? Maybe? Butthole? Oh no, she whispered out loud. My breath smells like a butthole. The door to the bathroom creaked open and that clown-faced maniac entered the bathroom once more and knelt down. You're the only person I know that would be more concerned about her breath than actually being kidnapped. The kidnapper's voice was masked by some device that changed it. Don't get so close. You'll die, Betty Lou said. Oh, honey... 
I'm not the one who's going to die. Then the kidnapper pulled a feather from their sleeve and placed it on the floor next to Betty Lou's bare feet. I'm recording you at all times, my dear. If you even try to escape, I'll be using this feather on you. But it's not going to tickle this time. It will burn. I... I don't know what you mean, Betty Lou said, wriggling in her chair. It's been sitting in a pile of poison ivy, poison oak, and poison sumac. And I know you're allergic to all three. Your feet will be so swollen, itchy, and terrible that you won't be able to wear a pair of Louboutins for months. Now, sit still, darling, and be patient. I've got some work to do. The kidnapper left the bathroom and locked the door. And with that, Betty Lou screamed. With Betty Lou out of the picture for the time being, and the suspects piling up, it's time to go over to the police station where Narge and Wiener have been weeding through suspect after suspect. Every single person questioned thus far has had an earring or two in their place of residence. Just when they thought they were onto something, it was the something that was onto them. Nards and Wiener sat across the table from Daphne. At least, the woman looked like Daphne. Nards had no reason to believe it was anyone but. Their love was still a mystery. He had yet to tell his associate Wiener that he had been seeing someone. Partners told each other things. This was true. But Wiener was in training wheels. She wasn't his partner. Not yet. She still had a few more weeks before Nards could decide if he could trust her or not. He had gone through too many partners through the years. Wiener knew this. He came clean one night while they were doing an all-night watch on the innocents to see if any suspicious people entered the building. That Jonathan Nightingale said something that really upset me, dear, Wiener said. Jonathan Nightingale is a pipsqueak. I wouldn't pay any attention to that rat bastard, Nard said. But he did say that something happened to your last partner, dear. He made it sound like you can't keep them around. It's true, Nards grumbled, his mustache twitching with dark thoughts. I don't have the best luck with partners. What do you mean, dear? My partners always die. Oh, my, Wiener said, placing an open palm across her chest. Why haven't you told me? Because each time I tell my current partner that my former partner died, my current partner dies. Wiener gasped, 
So, dear, I'm going to die. Wiener, it's a hard thought, but we're all going to die. He took the paper cup filled with cold black coffee, threw it back, and then slammed it down on the console of the car. I'm a cursed man, Wiener. Are you sure you want to be my partner? Have all your other partners been men? She asked. Yes, he said. Then that must be it, dear. Maybe the universe was telling you that you need a woman partner. That night was the last night they spoke of dead partners. Wiener never faltered and continued to remain as vigilant as ever as the two of them worked together to find the most recent murderer of the innocents. Now, here they were with their most recent suspect. The woman that sat in the interrogation room across from Nards and Wiener looked like Daphne. Nards, who loved her truly and deeply, hadn't yet told Wiener about his relationship. He would, soon, but he tried to keep his cool. Now, Daphne, dear, we would like to know where you were on the night of... Wiener was cut off. My name is not Daphne. Oh, honey, stop that. It says so right here with your paperwork. Your driver's license has your picture, and it definitely says the name Daphne, dear. Call me Daphne again, I dare you. We would just like to know what you were doing the night of Mr. McLuchal's murder, Nards asked. Please. It wasn't me, if that's what you wanted to know. Deborah has been waiting like a good little girl. Uh, I'm sorry, but who is Deborah? Nards asked. I am Deborah, she said. I am Deborah Cleverpatch. Daphne, dear, stop playing games. Please, just answer the question, Wiener said. He said you would think I was playing games, Daphne said, or Deborah, or whoever she was. Who said that, dear? He is the one that killed Deborah Cleverpatch, but he failed. Deborah didn't die. Deborah <laughs> lives. Wiener and Nards gave each other bewildered looks. Then the door to the interrogation room burst open. A man in a dark suit and a frown poked his head in. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I thought you needed to know right away. The innocence. Well, there's been another murder. Nards and Wiener stood erect from the table, looked at each other, and headed to the door. Wiener exited, but Nards turned around and said, Daphne, my love, thank you for coming in. You may go now. You are no longer on our suspect list. Not that I ever thought you needed to be. After he left, Daphne fastened her eyes to the space in front of her and whispered without blinking, My name is Deborah. not quite sure what I can say right now. You're obviously not going to be interested. If you're like me, you want to know who the next victim is, don't you? Well, aren't you morbid? 
finding joy out of a murder mystery is the worst kind of schadenfreude. But regardless, I'll hold off on any fun factoids for the time being. It's time to head back to the complex to find out whose innocence has been, well, blinded. water in the pool was the perfect temperature. Natasha lazily held on to a pool noodle and floated around the deep end. Her sunglasses reflected the majestic magenta sunset that burned the horizon. She gazed up at the sky, sparse with fluffy clouds, and inhaled. <sighs> then a bird pooped on her. It was just a few more weeks before she and Jameson were to wed. Ooh. So she... Anyway, she dipped her shoulder into the pool and, like, got rid of that yucky bird poop. Chlorine will kill it, right? That's right, it will. She's all clean. Oh, yeah, anyways. Beverly Cleary was there. She was in the middle of the pool going through some mundane water aerobics routine. It was her favorite. From some series she still watched on video cassette. She had it memorized by now. Everything Susan Lucci did in the plastic kiddie pool, Beverly Cleary, not the children's author, could do in a four feet of water. Natasha had noticed bubbles kept rumbling around Beverly Cleary. Beverly, are the jets more powerful in the middle of the pool? There are just so many bubbles. Beverly Cleary blushed. She readjusted her swim cap, the one with the huge white daisy on it, and kept working through her Susan Lucci moves. Jameson called out to Natasha, Darling, I smell rotten eggs. I think you should get out of the pool. There could be a gas leak. We need to go let George the doorman know. Natasha swam to the ladder, and water splooshed and sprayed as she lifted herself out of the water. She shook her hair in slow motion, stuck her finger in the bottoms of her bathing suit, and pulled out a wedgie in slow motion, and then called out to Beverly Cleary in slow motion. Beverly Cleary! If there's a gas leak, you may not want to be in the pool either. Maybe we should all get out. Beverly Cleary, not in slow motion, ignored them and continued Susan Lucci-ing. She swayed her arms, kicked her legs, and felt like a mermaid. And then... More bubbles. Beverly winced and decided, ooh, it was also time to get out. Once out, she dried off and headed over to the women's restroom again. She was going to try and control herself this time. Soon, everyone would know it was her. She walked to her favorite stall, the one in the middle. Because, let's face it, no one will sit next to you. And there were only three stalls. Right before all hell was going to break loose, there was a knock on the stall to her right. Who's there? Beverly called out. The guest knocked on the bathroom stall once more. 
That's not funny. More knocking. You're not going to want to be in here with me. I'm warning you. But the stranger didn't care. Instead, the door to the stall flew off. And the last thing Beverly Cleary saw before she was murdered so terribly was the clown mask. And then all went to brown. Welcome to the innocence where everyone is just dying to live. Will we find out who has been kidnapping Betty Lou? Will Nards figure out what has happened to Daphne? And now that we have an idea who the killer is, who is the killer? Tune in next time for... Blinding Innocence.